Hello, this is Austin, the DM and host of the Beer and Pretzel podcast, where a podcast examines different one-shot role-playing games. We talk to the creators of the games, we review them, and of course, we play them on this podcast. I'm here today with Craig, who has, we've played Capers, which is a game of yours in the past, which was a lot of fun. And now we're here to talk about a new Kickstarter for one of your games of Secrets of the Vibrant Isle. So Secrets of the Vibrant Isle, for anyone who does not know, and if they don't know about this new RPG, which even before you wrote me, I was seeing a lot of people on Twitter talking about it. So actually, I did see it before you wrote me, which was cool. It does look like a really nice, fantastical game. Secrets of the Vibrant Isle is a solo role-playing game. And I will put links in the description below for anyone who wants to check it out. Solo role-playing games are kind of, uh, they're not played a ton, obviously, compared to group role-playing games. But they're making a surge recently, mostly due to COVID, of course, keeping a lot of people away from gaming groups. Was that kind of the main motivation behind making this game? Or was there something else that you just, like, maybe you want to just jump into making solo role-playing games? Or what was it that you had to make this game now? Oh, that was part of it. Hi, and thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> and thank you for playing Capers. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a good game. <laughs> uh, well, basically, the, the inspiration for, for this, I mean, I knew about solo games, and I know that like a lot of them are kind of journaling games. Um, so they are dependent a fair bit on basically prompts that you know generate a way for you to kind of tell a story. And when, when, because the, the, the game prompts do the job of what the other players and the GM would do mm. um, if you're playing a game. So I got inspired actually kind of by, in part by Derek's a game, The Broken Cask, um, along with uh, uh, some other things that came up. I had kind of been wanting to do something sort of based on Lost um, or, you know, inspired by Lost, the idea of shipwreck shipwrecking on an island and, you know, it's strange things happen. Um, and then also uh, the artwork of Gemma, that, uh, who I found on Twitter a couple of years ago and, and have been following and talked to her at one point to like, like I, I asked her, um, you know, if, if I find, if I come up with a game idea that kind of fits your artwork style, would you be interested in licensing some artwork for me? And she said, yes. And so it, it took a couple of years to get there <laughs> before I got the idea. That's, that's kind of where it came from. It was uh, huh. kind of a confluence of a bunch of things. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's kind of interesting because usually with these role-playing games, or maybe not, um, usually, of course, the theme in the game, the story of the game comes before the artwork. But that's kind of cool that you found her and that art was kind of kept in the back of your mind, it sounds like, until you found the perfect yeah, game absolutely. and system for her art. Because, of course, it's a different artist than the capers or any of the other role-playing games you've done. So that's actually kind of a good segue into my next question. So you kind of were talking about Lost being a main inspiration. And looking at the Kickstarter, it's a game about playing a shipped wrecked sailor on a fantastical island where you have to work to protect your camp, improve yourself, and explore many dozens of the island's beautiful locations. I see, when I was looking at her art, I was seeing the inspiration from, like, Studio Ghibli movies. But I was wondering what games, movies, shows, or comics inspired the tone, look of the game, and of course the system. Besides Lost, I guess, since you already talked about that. Lost, certainly. Um, I mean, I think in in gen fantasy RPGs, fantasy um, stories and games in general, and I drew a lot from the artwork itself. Like, there's, you'll find if you play the game, I didn't like replicate every single thing that's in any of the artwork, but there are components of different explorations and things that you might find and creatures that you run into that are directly you're like oh that came from this piece of artwork clearly you'll see that like i it was kind of an interesting uh direction to take um 
and be you know like kind of inspired by the artwork which is like like you said normally the artwork comes after you've kind of figured out the game and you're getting your inspiration from from elsewhere and and with this game the game was uh very much inspired by the artwork. There's a, there's a co-designer on the game, uh, Shireen Gilchrist, who wrote a lot of the exploration. So you'll see a lot of uh, you know a lot of what's written for the different encounters, the different explorations, um, came out of Shireen's imagination as well. Um, and uh, you know I did that because I thought, well, with having to to d design like 90 or so explorations I was like I'm going to start repeating myself I'm afraid that there's going to be some things that are going to start to feel too much the same as something else so um, I asked Shireen to co-design with me and to huh. uh, to design a bunch of the explorations too so that it would be a, a, another imagination that would come to this uh, table and to write stuff up and she came up with things that you know my brain would have just never come up with they're just not like the types of things that I imagine yeah that makes sense and with her, how did you find her as, like, the partner to work on this? Like, how did that come together that you guys got to work on this together? Well, I've known Shireen for a while, um, and we've gamed together. Uh, we attended Gen Con together. She's uh, a big supporter of, of my game. She's written for me before. She's written for all three of the Capers supplements. Um, so it was – I was kind of taking it on trust <laughs> that, uh, the, that the collaboration side of things would work out okay, and it did. Um, you know, there was, you know, it was a question of getting her up to speed on what I was kind of thinking for the system and how the game would function. And then uh, we had a few, you know, meetings on Zoom and we had a big spreadsheet that we, you know, broke up all the explorations and kind of figured out what they're all going to be and like really outlined it all so that we wouldn't repeat each other. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, so there was there was quite a lot of co collaboration that went into all of that. So. Um, there's a lot of back and forth, uh, and that spreadsheet, you know, kind of molded and changed over time. With solo role-playing games, I've been checking them out more recently because, to be honest, I never even heard of the idea of solo role-playing games until a couple months ago. Just because, I guess it just never popped into my head that role-playing games could be made for just single people that uh, just couldn't make a gaming group or whatnot. And recently I played on this podcast for anyone listening I played Derek's game, The Broken Cask, and that was a ton of fun. And I'm actually very excited to see how this game is going to turn out because I would like to play that. Because it seems like for role-playing games and board games, ever since the beginning of time when games were a thing, they're always meant to be for at least two or more people. So designing a one-person role-playing game, which I'm sure wasn't easy, what was the process of making a game like this designed for just one person? that would keep them like engaged without having to like work off, you know, other players or whatnot. So what was the process of designing a system that would keep someone engaged, a single person playing? Well, the, the game system itself is kept very simple. I wanted to kind of keep it rules light so that you didn't get bogged down and caught up in the mechanics. Um, so there's basically four traits that kind of govern everything you do. And there's a few things you keep track of where you, you gain points and spend points. Um, so it's not overly complex and then you can gain you can gain equipment and lose it and there's magic to be found and creatures on the island that you can befriend and so forth um, but a lot of it came out of the idea of like I found myself thinking about choose your own adventure books and and similar you know pick a path kind of story books and there's been a bunch of different types and at their core 
those are one person role-playing games. There's about as simple as you get. Like you put yourself kind of in the, either think of yourself as yourself, or maybe you imagine a character that you're kind of embodying going on this adventure and you make your choices as you go through reading the book. You're like here describes a situation to you and you can decide to do this or this. And each one points you to a different page. Um, and then that takes you through and you just like, you know, so you can uh, experience the game multiple different ways by kind of taking different, paths um in, in kind of different bents on what your character and what kind of choices you make so a lot of that came through in the game where we, it was a lot of dis, uh, of deciding like if you decide to go explore the island there's a random role to figure out where you go but there's also ways for you to remember to remember certain locations so that you can go back to them so you have to kind of think about like well which ones do i want to kind of keep track of maybe i'll come back to this because i wasn't able to succeed at the thing that um, I tried to do there because the target number was too high or I didn't have the right tools for the job or whatever. And I can perhaps come back later. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, you know, really thinking about it in terms of like, choose your own adventures and also kind of putting myself in the headspace of like, as a kid, everybody at one point or another has played pretend by themselves. They've pretended that there's been like, you know, having an imaginary friend or another person there or just embodying like the, your stuffed animals or your, your action figures or whatever, where you just, you're telling a story by yourself. Games that are published um, don't tend, you know, they're at least not until recently, there haven't been a lot of them. A lot of people don't really know too much about there being solo games, but we've all played solo games. Like it's, it's, it's a part of growing up. It's a part of kind of figuring out who you are and figuring out like, well, I can put myself in the place of this other person. I can kind of be a little different or I can tell a story with my dolls or action figures or whatever. Thinking about that, it's true that like I started playing D&D &D myself very young, but even before that, yeah, going off like what you said, technically my first role-playing game would have been choose your own adventure books. And like those books compared to some people have made so role-playing games recently that incorporate like stats and dice rolling into it. Of course, those ones are very basic, of course, having no dice or stats or anything like that. But like you said, you are picturing like whatever the theme of the book is, you kind of picture yourself as that character, what choices you would make is based off that character. So that in itself is a role-playing game. So my next question is, because I really love when I'm trying to invest in a new role-playing game book. Of course, the theme of the game, the mechanics, the writer, the setting matters a lot. But I love like a good comic book. I love good art that matches it. So with doing this, I was kind of curious about your relationship to the artist in terms of kind of like the position you're in is sort of kind of like a producer-director relationship for like a movie in that She's a director, she has her own unique style for creating her art, and she has her own idea of the best way to convey the game onto the page, but it is your game, you did the most work for it. Even before she came aboard this, you already kind of had an idea in your head what your essentially movie would look like. So for you, because everyone has their own kind of relationship with the artists of how they work well together, how do you work with the artists to come to a kind of a happy medium of kind of like what works for them, what works for you, because it is your game and you want it, of course, to be the way you want. So how does that relationship work? With this game, it was literally like she had all the artwork was done beforehand. I was matching the artwork. But as far as like every other game that I've worked on, it's always been right. The art is, it kind of comes after the game. Um, and so usually the, the process, at least that I've taken, is to kind of describe to the artist what uh, the game is about and what I'm kind of expecting 
in general for for things to look like and some games i've gone so deep as to kind of provide like a artwork bible you know here's like a rundown of like well this is what the different uh, races or folk types or whatever are going to look like here's a description of kind of who they are what they are and then the the artist can interpret that uh and then um you know, there's art orders that get written where you kind of describe what you want this piece of art to look like each each piece of art gets a description of what you're looking for and i know that you can you can overwrite that you can overwrite that and stifle the creativity of the artist and so i i make a very conscious effort to try not to do that um like with the cover the cover art usually that's pretty detailed because it's the cover and you want it to have a kind of particular look to it but with a lot of the interior art i'll, I'll provide just enough information for them to um take a uh, you know take a stab at a sketch and kind of start putting the thing together and don't get too detailed with like you know i'm not going to general usually not going to describe like where's what's the point of view where's the viewer looking at are you looking at this figure from above from below are you looking at them you know head on you know i, I try not to describe any of that sort of stuff from day one with the first my, with my first game i want investment out of anybody that helps work on the game i want their investment in what they're doing i mean unless there's something that's really kind of not looking right for me or just doesn't hit the mark for the artwork i will generally go with you know, pretty pretty much what the artist is asking is looking to do like what they sketch up i might have them tweak a little something because i was like well the, you know this character is supposed to have a big gun and that gun's not big enough and you know it needs to be like you know monstrous but i want the artist to to feel that they're invested in things and to feel that they're creating something to help in this world to life um and by giving that um, to the artist, I'm also giving, you know, giving myself a gift, which is that when I get the final artwork, it's, I haven't already pictured it all in my head in, in fine detail, because I'm not describing everything to them. Um, like receiving finished artwork is one of the best parts of being a game designer, in my opinion. Um, when you see your world that you've kind of described in words, um, come to life in color, or even black and white, um, in, in artwork that, you know, is something I can't do, like, it's, it's really exciting. And I, enjoy the surprise and and uh, experiencing that world visually um kind of for the first time because i haven't pressured the artist into doing anything too specific this whole role-playing game i'm excited to play it just like i had a really fun time with the broken cask and i'm hoping it may be do you think that so role-playing games are like going to become bigger like in time or Maybe it's just a recent surge because of COVID. Because I can imagine, like, trying to advertise and trying to get people to hear about your game uh, for a traditional role-playing game that has, like, you know, five or six people playing is easy enough when you bring it to game conventions. But how do you advertise, or maybe not just advertise, but how do you get the word out on a solo role-playing game? Do you just, like, send it to, single like, single people for them to, like, play test and send their thoughts back to you? Or how do you get the word out on your solo role-playing game? Well, I use a lot of the same channels that I would for a any of the other games that I've done, the multiplayer games. Um, you know, a solo game is going to appeal to a certain type of player there's you know there's some people that are going to they're going to dig the idea some people are kind of be like nope a role-playing game for me is, is sitting around a table or in the living room or even online um talking to other people and that's okay because that's no different than how you market to any role-playing game like if you make a science fiction game there are some people who are going to be like i'm just not a science fiction person 
or I'm not interested in that particular subgenre of science fiction. So they're not interested in your game. There are other people that are going to like it. There's an audience for anything. Uh, it's it's just a matter of finding it and how big that audience is and whether you can you know can find it via a Kickstarter and and do well enough to be able to make the thing and then after the fact you're you know just hoping that you continue uh, it continues to sell and people continue to find it and enjoy it. I recently saw that on your website you have uh, maybe it was like a month ago Nerd Burger Con was that it. We're... That's happening oh, coming happening up now. actually. When when this drops on Friday, that's the that's the day before the convention starts. I did one last year and I'm doing another one this year. It's it's calling it a convention is probably overhyped. It's basically a highly organized game weekend. Oh. With uh with a bunch of different games being run by me and a bunch of other people. So We're it's your games, but online. it's other people's games too, right? Or is it just My your games, games? And, and other there's some games that are mm. uh, that are other like indie games that are being run by designers, um, and then there's a bunch of games that are being run by um, just people who love that game, and they're going to GM a session or two of it. Well, that's cool. So, dungeon on that subject, like you know, of course, everyone knows uh, the world's most popular role playing game is that for a reason. But why I want to make this podcast, the Beer and Pretzel Podcast, was to examine the at this point now thousands of great indie role playing games out there. And everyone I've been talking to have been saying that things have been getting easier and easier over the years, especially with be able to do like print on demand and using PDF and be able to share games online. And of course, gaming conventions to get the word out on their game because they don't have that big title name like Dungeons and Dragons, of course. Where do you think the role playing game community can go to get even bigger and better for indie role-playing game because like with Nurburger Con, that is a start of something a little bit different that can get more people to try in indie role-playing games so in your opinion as a game creator who's been doing this for a while where can things go to get better for people to check out indie role-playing games one of the big watchwords is um is in diversity of creators um there are a lot of of white guy you know straight white guy creators of role-playing games and i'm one of them um and there comes with uh, you know i've i've enjoyed a particular level of privilege for the purposes of trying to put a game together like this i have a decent job i make good money this is a side gig for me if it fails i'm gonna be fine and uh you know i was able to put a little bit of money for uh toward uh you know some of those initial costs and every so often you know like you know it, it, it doesn't break my bank to do so i'm lucky um, there are other people out there who have great ideas for games um, who might be struggling, uh, you know, day to day, week to week, month to month, um, and don't have the money to put up for art to get um, on, a, you know, even four or five pieces of art to put on a Kickstarter page. And so Kickstarter is a little tougher, maybe even out of the question for them. Um, I think uh, itch.io um, is has become a great way for people to get games out there where there's less of a requirement so to speak or a perceived requirement for a game to be like this more produced kind of high end higher end thing with like uh, you know art by professional artists and so forth there you i mean and not that there isn't games like that on itch.io but there's a lot of really interesting experimental stuff that people are more forgiving um to an extent where like okay here's a three or four page game it doesn't have any artwork maybe it's got like a little graphic flourish on a cover page or something like that but it's a really neat little game and 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 somebody made something that they love and there's other people out there that are checking it out and playing it and enjoying it um and i think that it's important that 
anybody who has an idea for a game who is prepared to to take it the distance to to produce that game and to get it out there to people in whatever means they choose to do that have the opportunity to do that and that requires you know some some changes in how at least some people look at what the gaming community is and what it should be and what it can become um and also like just how uh, how we're dealing with uh, ways of putting the game out there, whether it be you know drive-through RPG conventions, um, uh, sales on a website, itch.io, and any of the other you know pl places that people find games, um, is that will continue to evolve, and people will will come up with other ways that will help people get a game out there um, through a particular avenue that was you know maybe didn't exist five years ago, or or maybe is an easier avenue to use than some of the other more traditional avenues like you know there's there's only so many people that can put a game into distribution into game stores um that's tough to do it's really tough i've tried um i've had l very limited success in doing so so there's other outlets and there's other ways to do it and kickstarter and other crowdfunding um and patreons and so forth things like that that'll help you that help a creator to get the money to do it is, is useful and helpful, but there's certain things that, you know, like some people just, they don't have the time to put a month into running a Kickstarter. They just, they can't, they, their month is far too busy with other commitments and they don't have the money to hire somebody to manage a Kickstarter for them. So they have to find a different way to do it. Um, and I think that the industry will be served by continuing to evolve and find those things that allow more and different types of people put their games out do you think as a creator over the years that you've been making and of course playing role-playing games do you think that of course things of course need to get better with having more diversity in role-playing game uh you know, creators illustrators and everything has things been getting better since you started making role-playing games many years ago or do we still have a long ways to go boy that's a loaded question what'd you do to me Austin? <laughs> um i'll say this They've been getting better, but they also haven't. Yes, um, There are things that are wow, right? Like um, Coyote and Crow came to Kickstarter a while back, which is um, a role-playing game all uh, you know created largely by um, indigenous um, North American, I think mostly North American, maybe there might be people elsewhere, um, largely in, in, in indigenous creators that did huge on Kickstarter. It's incredibly popular. It blew up beyond their wildest dreams. They're they're thrilled. It's great. It's moving forward. But there was an awful lot of crapping on it by people who I don't know That's have horrible. a problem. Yeah. Whatever their problem is. And you know, it's 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 straight up bad people that are sometimes crapping on it. And sometimes it's just people that are just nitpicking the wrong thing. Like, you know, pick, they, they might have a battle to pick, but like, well, you know, celebrate the fact that this has happened. I mean, shut up and stand aside, let it go, let it happen. Let it be something great. Um, at, uh, you know, and that happens uh, just those types of things happen everywhere. There's, there's great successes that are made, but then there's also like this underbelly of, Oh, Somebody's out there pooping on it. You know, somebody's out there causing a problem. Somebody's out there trying to to tear somebody else down who's had a success that, you know, maybe is unprecedented. Um, and that irritates me. And I think, um, you know, it will behoove us as an industry and as a community to improve just in general across the board, every single one of us. Earlier we're saying how 
and it's a fair point that with role-playing games, movies, books, anything, certain people like certain kinds of genres, and it just won't work for them. You were saying that with so role-playing games or with maybe movies, maybe some people will not ever check out a critically acclaimed science fiction movie just because it's not their cup of tea, which is totally fine. Going to Secrets of the Vibrant Isle, of course, we're hoping that a ton of different kinds of people are going to go check out this game and it's going to have great success. What, if you can kind of sum it up as like, if what kind of people are going to most enjoy this game? I assume people that are into, because it's mostly fantastical, correct? It's from what I've it's noticed. Very, it's very fantasy oriented. It feels yes. very fantasy oriented. You know, like you're, you're not finding guns on the island, for example. Makes sense. Okay, so... Um, I think the people that will enjoy this game are people who enjoy fantasy role-playing games um, and who either like just embrace the idea of of a solo game because they're happy to create something fun um, and a, create a little story themselves or that or they're willing to try something new if they've never tried it before. I think that this game will feel enough like a traditional RPG. Um, in that kind of how you create a character and how you make trait checks and things like that. And it will have components to it that feel like a GM is talking to you, but instead you're reading something off the page. Um, and I think that, you know, that at will, those those combination of features will ring true for people who um, are perhaps more used to the multi-person role-playing game with a GM um, taking on the role that they do. Um, the, the book is doing that for you. So if you can accept the book um, rather than a person talking at you, uh, this game will work for you. And when should people, when they back to Kickstarter, expect the like some kind of PDF or the finished book? Like when do you envision it to be done or mostly done? Uh, the game is written and edited. The artwork, because it was existing, is done. Um, layout is the big push now. There's basically layout done, which I'll be doing um, uh, you know, Nerdburger Con is happening, so that's going to slow things down a little bit. The holidays are coming up; that might slow things down a little bit. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and the supply chain is all effed up. That's going to potentially slow things down a bit. Like how fast printing and shipping turnaround. I mean, it might take me a while to get proofs. Um, I've I actually had somebody ask on the Kickstarter, like, why is my um, fulfillment date set for May of next year? It's because of all these things. Like, I I don't know what snafus are going to come down the road and like if i if I, I could have the whole game done and be like okay here's the pdf and here's your here's your link or we can set up to print stuff but then my printer you know can't get enough paper to hit all their orders because that's happening right now um the supply chain is is it's not going to improve anytime in the near future from the looks of things so all of those components make me worried that it's going to take several months to get there i'm going to try um to get it into people's hands as quickly as I can. Like I said, I just have to get it laid out and, and test all the links and bookmarks and everything and make sure that the PDF is, you know, fully navigable. Um, and then there'll be the process of getting print proofs. Um, and that, that might be the thing that kind of takes up some time. That makes sense. Um, and I want to make sure that like, if I discover something in the print proof, um, you know, if it takes me more than one print proof, that, you know, that, 
it could be a month for each proof, like depending on how long it takes them to print stuff and get to me. I just, I just don't know. So I'm trying, I'm, I'll say this, I'm going to try to do it as quickly <laughs> as possible. <laughs> okay. So May but is there's kind of like a so last... many factors right now that I can't account for. Mm, that makes sense. Right now the world's crazy. Just, uh, I work part-time at a furniture store and lazy boy furniture has taken up to 12 months to come in. It's insane. Everything going on right now. So I'm sure on Kickstarter, it must be hard for creators to guarantee a certain date. Like you said, cause you don't know how long printing is going to take. Yeah, it's a mess and overseas and the, the, the shipping container issues. And like, if you're, if anybody who's out there making a board game in China or printing a book in China or South Korea or, or Eastern Europe or something like there, there are game creators right out there there right now who have had their whole business model upended because they're not going to be able to turn um, a product over as quickly as they would like to and so i'm just going to you know reaching out on behalf of the people who are running dealing with that um please everybody who's out there listening be forgiving um understand that there is a lot of stuff that is out of the publisher's control right now and one last question for me so I plan on playing this game once it comes out because um, we're doing a spinoff podcast called Forever Gnome where I play solo role-playing games. I only do that like once a month or so. On our main podcast, the Beer and Pretzel podcast, we play games that can be played in one sitting, not campaign games. We try to pick games that are pretty rules-light and don't have to be super serious and are just fun. When I was looking on your website today i know there's a lot of cool games that you've created that could work really well on our podcast and i would like to play so kind of put you on a spot a little bit if you were to recommend one game of yours for us to play in a single session on the beer and pretzel podcast from yours and one other person's uh role-playing game which of those two games or what two games would you suggest? You've played Capers already, so you know what the deal is with that. You yep. know whether or not you want to play that. So from one of the other games, the game that I am currently having the most fun running myself um, is Good Strong Hands, um, which is a uh, it's a game about fantastical creatures saving their fantastical world. If you've ever seen The NeverEnding Story, um, it's that kind of you know, as a role-playing game, um, inspiration, uh, never ending story and willow and legend and labyrinth and some of those kind of nostalgic, um, fantasy movies. I think that, I think you might have a lot of fun with that. As far as another person goes, uh, another designer's game, I try to throw love out occasionally to a few different people, games that I really kind of think are cool. Um, Stephanie Bryant, designed a game called Threadbare. It's been out for a few years. Um, but it's uh it's basically it's a it's a powered by the apocalypse game. It uses that system, but it's kind of a light version of that. So if you're not terribly eligible of of PBTA games, you can try this. It's it's a lighter kind of it's it's not quite there's not quite as much going on. The playbooks are smaller. Um, but it's basically you you po uh, portray poise in a broken world like your broken toys in a broken world there's like this it's kind of like it's the apocalypse sort of and everything's kind of broken down and falling apart and you're a toy like you're a teddy bear or um uh, uh, a, like a tonka truck or you can also be a sock um <laughs> so that's that called threadbare oh that's cool so it's kind of like toy story meets mad max sort of in like a pg world uh, it's uh, not Mad Max in this sense of I'll say this it's the game there's there's ways to 
get involved in violence and combat and that but the game really is not geared toward that like the it's more about discovering the world is how it's changed what's broken um working together fixing yourselves fixing each other it's it's a much friendlier like everybody's on the same team everybody's playing and it's not quite it's not really a a fighty game and that makes sense and i have actually when i was doing research for good role-playing games to play on this podcast before creating the beer and pretzel podcast i'm pretty sure i came across that game so i guess i'm gonna have to play that now on the show at some point because it does sound like a fun <laughs> game and i like that concept so first of all thanks craig for coming on and talking about secrets of the vibrant isle for anyone that's listening while the kickstarter's up the link is going to be in the description below of where you can check out your game but for anyone that's listening to this episode after the Kickstarter ends, where can people find this game and other games of yours? Uh, sure. My website is nerdburgergames.com. The games are available at drivethroughrpg.com. However, um, if you're digging on the idea of Secrets of the Vibrant Isle, make sure to check out the Kickstarter because there's several of my games are available as add-ons there, and they're cheap. Um there and uh you i'm also at nerdburger craig on twitter okay awesome yeah thanks craig for coming on talk about your awesome game with us thank you so much yeah so for everyone, those were some good questions even though you kind of put me on the spot oh yeah yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> i try to give a little bit harder questions than what most people give but yeah sorry to put you on the spot but, uh, yeah. it's okay it's okay <laughs> for everyone out there uh thanks for listening uh, the Beer and Pretzel podcast will be returning soon with the great Soul Train robbery. And, of course, once uh, Craig's Kickstarter ends on Forever Gnome, I'll be playing this game. Thanks for everyone listening, and we'll hear from you next time on the Beer and Pretzel podcast.